And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome in to the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast and the Athletic Football Show for Friday, November 27th. I'm going to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving and a happy Thanksgiving weekend. I'm also going to pull back the curtain and let you know that myself, Michael Beller, and my co-host, Derek Van Riper, we're actually, because of the the uh, holiday week, we're taping this on Tuesday. So as we sit here and record this, Thanksgiving has not happened, but we have to move some things around. So we're doing it in advance. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Hope you all have a safe Happy holiday week, holiday weekend, enjoying the football that you already watched yesterday, even though it hasn't happened as we've recorded this and are going to watch this weekend. Derek, do we, do we cover it all? Do we, do we have everything in order here? Yeah, I mean, I think if you've done DFS prep earlier in the week, you know that you're writing your plans on a dry erase board or in pencil because value will open up inevitably between now and Sunday. There will be injuries that have been underreported to this point that we don't know about right now that will create some pretty obvious paths to plays that are less obvious or impossible to figure out right now, but it's still... Always good to get ahead of the curve, do some of that homework, dig in and have a lot of plans ready to go in case it happens to be a light week for injuries. That's always possible. Yeah, it's always possible. Even in 2020, that's something that we could see happen. Things could shake out in our favor. So that's what we're getting ready here for. So again, as we are recording this, it is Tuesday afternoon. So things are going to change between what Derek and I say here today and what you are listening to when today is now today for you. Whatever that is. That is going to be changed, right? So we are just going to try to project things out a few days in advance for the DFS slate. I think there are some things that we know, Derek. There are a handful of games that are very interesting on this week's slate. We've got the Chiefs going to Tampa to take on the Buccaneers. The Chargers going to Buffalo to take on the Bills. Those are two very interesting games, two games I would love to get invested in. And I think that almost no matter what, right? I mean, Mahomes and Justin Herbert, Josh Allen and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and Keenan Allen and Stephon Diggs and all the Bucks receivers, there are ways to get invested. I think I want to find a way, no matter who it is, to get invested in both of those games. Yeah, absolutely. They stand out in terms of the over-under totals and uh, the offensive firepower involved. Both of those teams that they're matched up against are good enough to keep pace and actually push that game along toward those elevated totals. I think the other game that is on my radar as the standout sort of tier is the Titans-Colts matchup. Sitting at 51, the problem I think here is the, the Colts every week, it seems like, shake up their personnel groups, their distribution of touches and targets in a way that always leaves us chasing production. Mm-hmm. We saw it in week 11. The interest was in Naheem Hines. It was Jonathan Taylor who came out and played really well. Is it going to be Taylor again this week? Fair question to ask, right? Even in the first half of that game, Michael Pittman looked great. We didn't see as much of him in the second half. That was very frustrating because... 
think he can be a true number one in that offense. So I hope hope we're not just letting the problems we're having with the Colts steer us away from how fantasy-friendly that game is, especially on the Titan side. Yeah, and we've also seen the Colts be able to play up when the game requires it. We just saw it a week ago against the Packers. They get down 28-14 at halftime. They rally back. They take a 31-28 lead in the second half and ultimately win that game 34-31 in overtime. So even though we don't, and I don't think we should think of them as this offensive, uh, offensively driven team, they're still a team that can play in those high-scoring games. So that could be another interesting one and obviously a huge game with both the Titans and Colts going into that one at 7-3. and three. Winner of it has the inside track for the AFC South crown. Let's move on to the running back position. One guy in that game is among our most expensive running backs. That, of course, is Derrick Henry. Dalvin Cook is the king of the running back position this week. $9,500. Got to go all the way down to 8200 to find the next running back, Alvin Kamara, and then 7900 is where Derrick Henry sits do you want to get in on one of those three guys this week it's really hard to pass on Delvin Cook because he's had at least 30 touches in three of his last four games this is 2019 Christian McCaffrey territory price wise it's almost in that range usage wise the key difference being McCaffrey had an even greater role in the Panthers passing game a year ago I think you can do it I think you can justify getting one. I think it's really difficult to pay up for two, even though you'd like to pay up for two because there's so much instability at the position as a whole. So the default for me as I build up my cash game lineups is to go ahead and lock in Cook, even at that $9,500 price tag. We'll talk about a few ways to save a little bit of money in those baseline builds. I think Kamara is going to be used a bit less than we're accustomed to because he was a non-factor in the passing game in Taysom Hill's first start last week. That does seem like a mistake. We talk about cash games. We talk about GPPs. We talk about having multiple lineups in some instances. So my question for you is, do you take Kamara and put him into a few tournament lineups as a pivot off of Cook? Just one or two out of, say, 10 lineups because I still think there's a lot to like. The way Taysom Hill played lends itself to Kamara's role in the passing game coming back here in Week 12. Yeah, I like Kamara actually a lot this week, and I definitely think that Cook is the better cash game play. Of course, that goes without saying, but I I would still be comfortable playing Kamara in cash games, and I think that the leverage that you're going to get on him most likely is very attractive. I just... I know that Taysom Hill, the stylistic differences between him and Drew Brees, just when you're talking in a neutral environment, the just a running quarterback versus what Drew Brees is, it's just going to take some sort of receiving volume away from a running back, no matter who it is. But we can't just think of these guys in context-neutral situations because that's not reality. I mean, that helps us maybe in our overarching picture of what a DFS slate looks like, but that's not how reality actually works. We're still talking about Alvin Kamara. We're still talking about a guy who is in a class only with Christian McCaffrey, those two guys alone, when it comes to being dangerous weapons, catching the ball out of the backfield. No one else comes close to those two guys. So while that, even though we have to own up to what the reality of Taysom Hill's game is, I still think that 
there's going to be plenty of work in the passing game for Alvin Kamara. So I do like him pretty much across the board. And I like the fact that you can probably bank on getting some low ownership for a guy who has the ability to go off in the way that Alvin Kamara does. That's just not going to be the case very often. So I do like jumping back on the Kamara train and trusting him to get going against the Broncos this week. Um, someone else who I'm back in on this week is uh, Nick Chubb. And that's where we get into another group of, uh, of running backs where we like the guys who are going to get volume. I've got Nick Chubb down here at $7,100. You also write into our show sheet, James Robinson, at $6,300. And something I like about those guys every week, regardless of a matchup, regardless almost of price, is the fact that we know what their workload is going to be. I think you could throw Josh Jacobs in here, $7,200. We know exactly what their workload is going to be. And then you look around them, you've got Mike Davis at 6900 What's the performance level going to be? Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at 6400 What's his workload going to be? Uh, um, you got uh, Ronald Jones, 6100 Same thing with the workload concerns. Jonathan Taylor, 5900 I mean, there are very few backs who we can look at and say, yes, the workload is going to be there. And it makes me want to just trust those guys and figure out the other positions after I've locked those guys in. Yeah, definitely. So a couple thoughts on that group as a whole. I mean, I think I would expect the Browns to be leading throughout that matchup against Jacksonville. So you're looking at 20 carries for Chubb as a very reasonable target. He's sort of a cheaper Derrick Henry. Doesn't catch a lot of passes. Is the guy when they're protecting a lead and is really efficient with those carries. So I, I could see Chubb being a good way to save a little bit of money, get a nice high projection, and you know have that extra 800 bucks to spend elsewhere compared to going with Henry. Josh Jacobs has had more week-to-week variants than I would expect yes. for a player with his usage. Like If you look at his game log, the weird thing is we saw heavy involvement in the passing game to begin the season, that sort of trailed off in the last couple of weeks. Six targets in his last four games. The floor is about 13 points, as we've seen during that span. But the ceiling is the occasional multi-touchdown game like we got in Week 10. He got the 32 DraftKings points in that matchup against Denver. This looks like a really good spot against the Falcons, so I'd be more inclined to play him than to avoid him. I just wonder if you can actually build a top-end lineup by passing on the elite backs and going with two from this group. I wonder if the best play still isn't going with Cook plus someone like James Robinson at 6,300 because as we've talked about on this show for the last several weeks, James Robinson gets plenty of volume on the ground, and if the Jags are playing catch-up, he's their primary pass-catching back as well. So you're not worried about the game script kind of pushing him aside. And at 6,300, that's a really nice price that offsets some of the extra money you had to spend to get up to cook. I mean, it's basically a situation with James Robinson where even his worst yardage game, if he gets a touchdown on top of it, you're, you're, you're golden with where his pricing is. And that's just true for him every single week. I mean, even like, look at last week, not a super efficient game for him. 17 carries for 73 yards, two catches for 21 yards. I mean, it's 94 yards from scrimmage with two catches. You throw a touchdown in there, you got yourself a stew going right there with James Robinson. <laughs> so feel pretty good about uh, having him in my lineup anytime you're getting him south of $6,500. Uh, we got to move on from this running back position, but just one more guy who, whether cash game, GPP, whatever it might be, someone who you just want to make a case for in week 12 I think it's interesting that Kenyon Drake is 5400 he has the ninth highest projection in terms of fantasy points at running back on roto grinders and he's 23rd in price that's pretty appealing to me especially when we think about how that game 
could flow as a nice shootout. If you're still looking for a tournament option at the same price range, Todd Gurley, the most TD-dependent player mm-hmm. in the entire pool, is only 5,500 for me. He's tournaments only because he doesn't have a role in the passing game, and they may be playing from behind. And then there's James White at 4,500. Yes. With Rex Burkhead out, White goes back to his previous function of catching a lot of passes out of that backfield because there's a lot of instability in their group of pass catchers as a whole. I think the floor on James White is very good. I think the ceiling is higher than people think. So he's probably my favorite punt play, we'll call it, at the running back position. I don't feel like he's a punt because mm-hmm. he actually has a clear role. Like a punt play is like a $3,000 guy that you just feel like is a complete lottery ticket. James White actually has a, a clear function in the in the uh, Patriots offense. I will double down with you on James White. That was the one guy who I was going to throw out, $4,500. No Rex Burkhead, nine targets last week for James White, caught six of them for 64 yards. That was a game where they had to chase, chase, chase because of who they were playing in Houston. I think we see the exact same thing this week against Arizona. Let's just be honest about what this New England defense is this year. It's bad. It's a defense that you can run up the score on. I think the Cardinals are going to be able to do that. Patriots are going to have to try and keep pace, and James White is one of the two best pass catchers on that team. So I think we see another good game out of James White this week. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. All right, let's move on over to the wide receiver position here. Derek, another one where got some guys clustered at the top of the position. DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Michael Thomas. Uh, there's uh, you know Once you get down to Thomas at 7,400, you start to make a little bit of a jump with where you are at DeAndre Hopkins. But those are still the wide receiver ones available to us on the main slate. Do you want any of these guys, or are you looking beyond them for your wide receiver one in a you know general uh, core build? So far, without the previously mentioned injuries opening up mm-hmm. clear value guys, I think Calvin Ridley 
has been my yeah. preferred expensive receiver at 7,100. I'm kind of operating under the assumption that Julio Jones won't play. We'll know a lot more, mm-hmm. of course, as the weekend approaches. Uh, if Julio plays, you know, maybe I'll find the extra couple hundred bucks and, and try to get to Stephon Diggs at 7,600 as my first option from this group. But I think with the Falcons, I think they're going to be playing a lot of catch-up in this game. The Raiders continue to show that they're a quality, efficient offense, even if they're a little bit frustrating from a fantasy perspective. I think we're looking at an easy double-digit target sort of game from Calvin Ridley, and when you give him 10-plus targets, very good things can happen. We've seen that happen on a handful of occasions this season. Uh, When he gets 10 or more targets, Calvin Ridley has scored at least 19.7 DraftKings points in each of those contests. The ceiling is in the 30s, and that's exactly what you want. So I think within that entire group, that's sort of the high-end expectation for all those players. And if you can pay almost a 1000 less than the top options at the wide receiver position to get Ridley, he's a great play at that price. We talked about this on, God, i got to go back in my head. It was Tuesday's episode of uh, Fantasy Football in 15. Um, you know, Calvin Ridley is the one guy in Atlanta's offense who I feel good about without Julio Jones. I'm very worried about Matt Ryan. We already know that uh, Todd Gurley is a touchdown-dependent volume sort of guy. Ridley's the one guy who I feel like the floor doesn't really change at all for him when Julio Jones is off the field. So I'm with you on liking him quite a bit. And I think he leads us into a discussion about the Tampa Bay receivers also, where where those guys are priced. I mean, we know that because of all three of them being there together, none of them has the ceiling that he had the last time that they all weren't teammates. But still, when you're talking about being able to get someone like Chris Godwin at sixty at $6,000, Mike Evans at $6,100, Antonio Brown, $5,700, in a matchup with the Chiefs that we expect to be able to push some pace, I mean, there's almost no wrong way to go with a Tampa Bay receiver, and I almost feel like I automatically want one of them. Like, if you gave me the option of don't take a Tampa Bay receiver or I'll put all three of their names in a hat, you pick one out and have to play that one, I'm going with the latter. Yeah, I think they're all clustered in price, too. So you're really just left to your own devices trying to look at individual matchups or trying to decide who you think might be the least utilized of the bunch if you're playing in a tournament and you're just trying to get some leverage that way. Uh, I kind of default to Godwin. I think he's the best Mm, all-around receiver of the bunch. But there's definitely a scenario in which they continue to split targets, and it's 1A, 1B, 1C, where they're all sort of in the... 10 to 20 range among wide receivers in PPR leagues each week. And it's almost impossible for me to sit here and say that one clearly has a higher ceiling than the other. I think I'm basing a lot of that on what we thought of these players coming into the season. Uh, But I think you'll see some combination of those guys, or at least one of them as a frequent run back for any lineups that are using members of that Chiefs offense, right? If you're playing Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you're playing Travis Kelsey, you're playing Tyreek Hill, you're probably coming back with one of those Bucks receivers, and for good reason. Yeah, hard to get. The problem with that I have with some of the higher-priced receivers is that it's hard to get one of them plus one of the big backs, plus these guys that I like a lot in the 56 to $6,200 range at the receiver position, uh, all into the same lineup. It makes it tricky, and it makes it 
a, a little bit easier to talk yourself out of any of those high-priced receivers, even though I really do like Stephon Diggs as the route for getting invested in the Buffalo Chargers game. Someone who I like a lot at this position, Derek, who is almost an autoplay for me, is Michael Pittman Jr. You referenced him a little bit when we were talking about the Colts and Titans game being one that you might want to get invested in. Still just $5,000. I don't know why he only got three targets in that game against the Packers a week ago, especially when... I think, was that his first target of the game? Had he turned into the 45-yard touchdown? I mean, and we saw what he can do. We saw it a week before that. I mean, he is clearly the best receiver and arguably the most dangerous player on that Colts offense. I just don't think after what we saw from him that they could watch, you know, they could go, they could go through an entire week of practice, watch the game tape, and not say, whoa. We got to get this guy more than three targets in every single game for the rest of the season. So getting him at $5,000 feels like a huge bargain to me, and he's going to be a staple in my lineups. Yeah, he fits so well because he does open up a lot of salary for the upgrades Mm -hmm. that you want elsewhere while still bringing you the kind of ceiling you're looking for at the wide receiver position. We saw it just a couple weeks ago in his first meeting against the Titans. 22.2 DraftKings points, seven catches for 101 yards on eight targets, also carried the ball once for 21 yards. In that matchup, I think seven to eight targets like we saw in weeks nine and ten is more likely the script. I think what happened in that Colts Packers matchup is the Colts realized in the second half of that game, the Packers had no answer for the Colts running game. So it was really just, hey, let's just keep running the ball because it's working. And unfortunately, Pittman was the guy that sort of (laughs) suffered usage wise as a result of that game plan adjustment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, it, it was one where it worked for uh, for the Colts in real life. Not exactly what we were hoping for in the fantasy world, uh, but that those are the sorts of guys. I mean, that's right. It's it's James White who we talked about plus Michael Pittman. That makes a ninety five hundred dollar Delvin Cook possible. Anyone else at this wide receiver position you look at to open up those avenues for going after the big running backs? Maybe getting invested in one of the big quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, if James White ends up being really popular to the point where you don't feel like you want to use him in tournaments, I think you could try to get to one of the Patriots receivers instead. Jacoby Myers is 5,300. I think I recommend him every week at this point. It was a bust last week, of course. (laughs) Uh, Demir Bird's only 4,100. He's the guy that went off last week. I still prefer Myers, but after what we saw last week, you can't completely dismiss Bird being a perfectly fine tournament option at 4,100. The two punt plays at wide receiver are Denzel Mims and KJ Hamler. Hamler's got 26 targets over the last three games, just 3,500 matchup against the Saints isn't great, but if you're looking to save a lot of money because you're paying up for a couple of stars in your lineup, kind of doing the stars and scrubs thing, Hamler at least has enough of a role where I think he kind of makes some sense. Denzel Mims is interesting. Back-to-back games with eight targets, also 3,500 like Hamler. Going up against the Dolphins, if you think it's a bounce-back week for Tua Tungavailoa and the Dolphins offense, somebody in that Jets passing game has to do some damage. It's weird because Jamison Crowder has not had the same target share in these last two games that he was getting prior to his injury. I do think there's a chance he starts to tick back up in usage, but even if that happens, there's enough to go around for Mims to continue seeing plenty of opportunities. Like Mims, and I like Prashad Perriman. Perriman's at 4200 so a little bit more expensive than Mims, but uh, we know he has that big playability. He's got uh, touchdowns in the last couple of games for the Jets here too, and it is a game that I think that we're going to see uh, some scoring in because of how bad the Jets' defense is and the fact that you know, the Jets' offense hasn't been hopeless over the last few weeks. Uh, they've actually shown some signs of life, so I do think that's a nice way to get invested in cheap receivers, allowing you to get some of the bigger play names into your lineups. Uh, let's throw things 
swings over to the quarterback position here, Derek, one where we do like to go cheap often enough, but man, I mean, Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, these are guys who are have very high floors, they have very high ceilings, they are involved in some of the games that we're interested in this week, and I don't know, man. I got to be honest. I really want to try to find ways to get Josh Allen into my lineup. I love the fact that they're coming off a bye. I love the matchup both defensively and offensively uh, up against the Chargers. Defensively, I mean, I think Josh Allen can take advantage. Offensively, I mean, I think Justin Herbert and the Chargers can take advantage of the Bills. I think this is going to be the highest scoring game of the week, and I like Josh Allen as my entry point for this game. So even though we're often recommending cheap plays, I just keep looking at these positions and thinking, this might not be a bad week to spend up, and I find myself landing on Josh Allen quite a bit. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, the projections are really good for that matchup. He's a bit cheaper than Mahomes and Murray. You could still get exposure to those other offenses without having the quarterbacks involved. And with Allen, of course, you're looking at him as a guy that's in a situation where they haven't really figured out the running game at this point. And I think that kind of bumps up my expectation slightly in terms of the possibility of a rushing touchdown, uh, which is always nice. That might be the one thing that kind of separates him from some other quarterbacks in that range. I mean, Kyler Murray runs a ton too, but um, I, I look at a lot of the other 7K quarterbacks most weeks when Aaron Rodgers is up there, and I'm not really expecting a rushing TD, but with Josh Allen, that's sort of a built-in expectation at this point. Uh, I think the case for Derek Carr is pretty compelling. 5,700 yeah. is very cheap. The Falcons' defense is very bad, and saving 2K or even more compared to some of those top-end quarterbacks does free up a lot of that extra money you need if you're trying to spend up for premium receivers, if you wanted to spend up for Cook plus at least a second-tier running back. It's going to cost you, if you don't want to end up in the 4K pit of disparate tight end, <laughs> all of those things might talk you out of paying up at quarterback. Mm-hmm because Carr has such a great matchup. But the list of quarterbacks under 6K that I actually want to play this week is very short. It's one of the shortest ones we've seen in recent weeks, and I think you could even extend it to the list of quarterbacks that I really am interested in playing in below 6,500. It starts with Cam Newton at 64. Then we've got Teddy Bridgewater, who we expect to come back, 63. Taysom Hill, 62. Rivers and Cousins are both at 61. You've got Goff at 6,000. Tua at 59, also with Matt Ryan there, who I have zero interest in without Julio Jones. Ryan Tannehill's 58. Get you down to card, 57. I mean, I don't want to play really any of those guys. And that is also what's pushing me to paying up for one of the high-priced quarterbacks. I got to be honest with you, Derek, if Gardner Minshew is able to return this week, and this is something we have no clue about as you and I are recording this and probably won't know about till Friday or Saturday, but if he's able to get back for Jacksonville this week at home against Cleveland in a game that Cleveland should be able to at least put some points up on the board and force Jacksonville to do the same, a $5,600 Gardner Minshew is attractive to me, even though we have to acknowledge a quarterback coming back from an injury to the thumb and his throwing hand. You're rolling the dice a little bit without seeing that guy play uh, if you're just going to throw him into your lineup blindly. Yeah, I don't think I'm quite there. I think um, you know if I was going to do something risky under 7K, relatively speaking, I talked about the Titans up top, Ryan Tannehill, 5,800. I think you could pair him with A.J. Brown, and you get a nice combination of high ceiling with low usage in tournaments. Uh, I'd be more inclined to do something like that. I wonder if you can get Matt Ryan at lower usage than expected at 5,900, thinking about that matchup. But playing him if Julio doesn't go, 
certainly adds another element of risk because as much as we like Kelvin Ridley, how good do you feel about the other options in that offense, right? I mean, Hayden Hurst is kind of okay, and then Russell Gage is just your typical slot guy that doesn't bring a ton of ceiling. So it breaks down pretty fast depth-wise in the Falcons' offense. So I'd probably be more Tannehill over Ryan for tournament purposes if I'm trying to do something different under 6K. And then, of course, the two-a-bounce-back question Mm -hmm. is lingering out there, uh, along with the what do we really think of Taysom Hill at 6,200 this week on DraftKings going on the road to Denver? How much is he going to be utilized, and mm-hmm. do you feel comfortable playing him? I don't feel comfortable playing him. Uh, you know, the, Last week was great. You know, He made me crow for sure, but let's also be honest about what he was through the air. There were some balls that were fortunate to be caught. The one big play to Emmanuel Sanders that was like a 50-yard gain was a ball that uh, should have been a touchdown, frankly. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders had whoever was covering him beat comfortably deep, and uh, Taysom uh, underthrew it by literally like six or seven yards and uh, was lucky that Emmanuel Sanders was able to adjust to that. Even if that's just an incomplete, forget about it being an interception. Even if that's just incomplete, you're taking 40 yards off the board and suddenly a 10 yard per attempt smash of a game through the air efficiency wise becomes like a solid eight yard per attempt game through the air. And, and we're, I think we're talking about him in a little bit different of a way. He needs the rushing touchdown and he obviously can do it very often and he's going to do it very often. But even if he just has the one rushing touchdown versus the two he had last week, we're talking about a QB 14 week out of him rather than a top five quarterback week. I mean, that's what you're hoping for. We talked about it on the uh, on this show on Monday or Tuesday. He's he's like Cam Newton, right? He's a, he's a version of Cam Newton, and if he runs for two scores, he has a great game. If he runs for one score, he has a fine game. If he doesn't run for any, you're probably not very happy with it. So I want to stay off of the Taysom Hill train this week. Um, let's move over to the tight end position here now. Travis Kelsey, $7,000. Darren Waller, $6,000. And then the rest of the position that we have come to know and not exactly love. Are are you even trying to find a way to get one of those expensive guys to your lineup this week? I think if I can get to one, it's only going to be Waller at 6K. It's been tough so far for the reasons that we've talked about. If you look at the points per dollar metric, which is a good way to sort to find value, it's going to lead you right to the mid 4K range. It's going to bring you to the Evan Ingram at 4,500, Hunter Henry at 4,800, and Hayden Hurst at 3,900. If we get confirmation that Julio Jones is out, I think Hayden Hurst is going to be the default cash game tight end because of the way builds are going to work overall this week with people spending up everywhere else. Yeah, I think that's true too. Um, I look at the the Henry Ingram as the, the sweet spot. We've got Hunter Henry checking in at $4,800 and Evan Ingram at $4,500. That feels like a spot to me where I don't, I'm not spending too much. I feel like I'm probably getting good value out of those guys, and I'm not just totally throwing the position away. So that's really who I'm looking at. And um, you know, maybe we're not giving the Giants enough credit going up against the Bengals. We didn't mention Daniel Jones at all, but $5,500 for him might be another good way uh, to get a cheap quarterback that gives you avenues of investment elsewhere let's wrap things up Derek defense position anyone you want to make a case for this week <laughs> I have no strong case for any particular defense I was looking at the Raiders as a punt and usually I just don't care and this one I looked at the game log because I can't recall them having a good game this season they've had one useful fantasy game so I would just say as you punt at defense It's probably worthwhile to steer around the Raiders. They don't get pressure. Only 11 sacks this season. They've had five or fewer fantasy points 
every single time out in 2020 other than Week 10 against Denver. So uh, I think the Broncos at 2,200 for 100 less makes sense. You put the Chiefs on our show sheet at 2,700. At least they're going to get pressure. They're going to sack Tom Brady a few times. Mm -hmm. They might force a turnover, and any team can score a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown and, and change your fortunes that way. So for me this week, it's a word of caution. That Raiders defense is just a toothless unit, <laughs> and you want to look for something else in that price range. Yeah, I'd, I like the Chiefs because we know what pressure up the middle can do to Tom Brady. We've seen it a few times this season. The Bears, the Rams just last week. The Chiefs can do that too. So I think that they're a team that can create a little bit of havoc even though they're not going to totally shut down what the Buccaneers do offensively. I'll also throw the Broncos out there at home against the Saints. You give Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel a full game's worth of how the Saints plan to deploy Taysom Hill as an actual quarterback. Give them a week to plan for that, to coach for that. I think they can come up with some things that make thing, make life a little bit harder on Taysom Hill than the Falcons were able to do a week ago. They're just $2,200 also, so a nice little punt at this position that actually could uh, produce at least a few sacks, maybe a turnover or two, and that's always what we're looking for at the defense position. And this is what we're looking for, even on a Tuesday as we record this on this portion of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast and the Athletic Football Show. Derek, have a good weekend, man. Enjoy the rest of uh, the holiday. Yeah, you too. Hope everybody's enjoying their holiday weekend. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, we move on now to the gambling portion of the show. And to do that, we bring on Vic Tafer. Vic, how you doing today? Doing good, bud. How you doing? I am doing well. Also, so... You know how this works. Uh, I do the first half of the show with Derek Van Riper, who's also in our uh, fantasy department, the audio department. Uh, he, he and I do DFS talk. Then you come on, we do uh, against the spread talk. Now, usually 
Derek and I record at some point on Thursday afternoon. You and I record on some point on Thursday afternoon. This goes on on Friday. All good. Derek and I, because of it being Thanksgiving week, we recorded on Tuesday. You and I are recording on Wednesday. So again, everyone, you already heard the DFS portion, the ATS portion of the show also going to be a little bit more uh, moving parts ahead of us than there is in a typical week. So just wanted to make sure that we all knew that, even though this is coming out to you on Friday, we are doing this well in advance. Let's look back at week 11, Vic, a three and two week for you. Wins on Houston, Dallas, and Vegas. Losses on Jacksonville. We were just joking around about them before we started recording here. And the Bengals, that Bengals one. Obviously, Joe Burrow's injury early in the second half had a lot to do with it. Anything else about those five games you uh, you picked jump out at you? No, actually, was able to watch the games at Sportsbook before the game. The Raiders game was a night game. So, yeah, the Joe Burrow thing, the, just it was obviously sad for football fans. But just to watch the quick reaction of the players, his teammates, just uh, – I mean, obviously, it was just horrible. Just uh, it was a horrible injury for them, the whole mm-hmm. franchise. But um, – no, I mean, that was the biggest uh, takeaway for me is that game, just how sad it was and how bad we, we joked about how bad the Jags are. The Jags, I'm not sure what I was thinking, picking them to win that game. Um, <laughs> may have been trying to torture myself, maybe, you know, <laughs> I had to watch it and kind of punish myself for a bad year. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, they're truly awful. I mean, uh, truly, truly, they definitely will deserve the uh, top overall pick when they get it. Hey, so uh, we're feeling a Jets win at some point. Um, We're going to be talking about uh, both of those teams, in fact, are involved in our combined 10 picks. It was an ugly week for me. One and four, my lone win came on the Titans. I guess silver lining for me was that that was also my upset pick, and they did upset the Ravens, winning that game outright. But then four losses, Arizona failed me again. Fading Indianapolis, that failed me again, too, with the Packers blowing a 14-point halftime lead, losing that game in overtime. Uh, The Dolphins just looked all sorts of mess against Denver. And then the Chiefs uh, against the uh, the Raiders uh, taking uh, a win but not covering the spread. So uh, you get a win in our uh, head-to-head record. So I am now 6-1-1 in the head-to-head. We had no consensus, so we remain 5-7 for the season. You are at 22-32-1. I am at 29 25 and one. Let's fire up week 12. We are just going to look at the Sunday games. We're going to uh, just push aside the two Thanksgiving games, which have not happened as of our recording, but will happen as of you listening to this. Those are obviously Texans Lions, which I actually do like the Texans in that one quite a bit, and Washington and Dallas. Let's throw things ahead to Sunday. Uh, let's, uh, you know what? Let's, uh, let's, let's throw out a couple of games first that neither neither of us are picking. We've got Raiders at Falcons. Raiders are three-point favorites on the road in Atlanta, 55-and-a-half, the over-under on that game. Let me just get your take on that, Vic, as someone who is very close to the Raiders, as one of our Raiders beat writers. Uh, What's your feel for that game with the Raiders heading across country to take on the Falcons? Yeah, my first feel that was was a bad spot for them. I think, yeah, obviously, maybe for a letdown after that tough loss. And the Falcons, I think, are a little bit dangerous at home. But my my new uh, feeling... uh, I think the Raiders are pretty mad. I think the Raiders definitely took that loss the right way. There's more anger than sadness. So I think they realize that they're the better team on Sunday. They should be able to run the ball. I think and pass the ball. So I think their offense is just too good right now to really suffer a loss to the Falcons. So I'm picking the Raiders in that one. 
Yeah, I think um, that that's the lean for me also, not one that I'm going to pick, but uh, we've seen that Falcons offense really struggle without Julio Jones, and as early in the week as it still is, it, it does sound like Julio's going to be pretty iffy for this one with that hamstring injury, and that offense falls apart without Julio, so uh, I think they could really struggle to keep up with the Raiders if Julio Jones isn't out there. Uh, next game, Vic, I'm doing it. I am backing away from the Arizona Cardinals, at least for one week. Uh, they're two-and-a-half-point favorites in New England against the Patriots. We are both staying away from that one. Next game on the board, Giants minus six. Yes, the Giants minus six at the Bengals. 43 is the over-under on this one. Here, we have a pick. It is me who has the pick, and I'm going with the Giants, Vic. I mean, this Bengals team, we saw what a half of offense for them looks like without Joe Burrow. It was ugly. Ryan Finley finished out that game for the Bengals. We know Brandon Allen will be the starter. We learned also on Wednesday that Giovanni Bernard suddenly has a concussion, so he probably not going to play similar to the DeAndre Swift timeline that we saw a week ago. When you get a concussion in practice, basically means you are for sure going to miss that game. And I don't think Giovanni Bernard is necessarily a needle mover, but Without Joe Burrow, they need every single piece of offense they can get. Now you're talking about a starting backfield of Brandon Allen and Samaje P. Ryan. That is just uh, really not what you want. This Giants team, too, Vic. I mean, you know they're three and seven. Right? They're, no one's going to confuse them necessarily with a good team, but they've been in basically. Every game they've played this year, go all the way back to Week One, 26-16, uh, a loss to the Steelers, a game that they were, you know, within puncher's range for the entire game. They lost a tough game in Chicago the next week, 17-13. Then they got blown up by San Francisco, and then look, the rest of the season is all one-score games. Uh, the, the losses are all one-score: 17-9 to the Rams. 37-34 to Dallas. That was a game that Dak Prescott played most of before he suffered his season-ending injury. A 22-21 loss to Philly. A 25-23 loss to Tampa. And then wins over Washington twice and Philadelphia. The Giants are a little bit better than you would assume just by seeing a 3-7 and record. And going up against this totally... Totally shorthanded Cincinnati team with a bad defense also on the other side of the ball from them being shorthanded offensively. I think the Giants can pretty easily take control of this game. So I am backing a six-point road favorite New York Giants team, which I sort of can't believe. Where are you leaning on this game? Yeah, I'm with you. I can't believe you either. I can't believe you're taking the Giants minus six on the road. <laughs> that just, I don't care who they're playing. That sounds like a bad idea. So I'll leave. I know. Just a, a principle. I've watched both teams this year. They're both not very good, but I just can't, I can't lay six in a row with the Giants. So um, I'll go the other way. But just um, really based on the line, not based on the Bengals being a, a surprise right. pick and I, their offense going to click all of a sudden. I, it was the last pick I put in. It was the last of my five games that I put in, and I wasn't uh, I wasn't super confident in it necessarily. But the more I thought about it, the more I felt like they've been competitive. And this Cincinnati team, I just I, I just can't see them doing much of anything offensively with Brandon Allen as the quarterback. So that's what I came back to. I kept coming back to it, kept circling back to it. Giants, they are my fifth. If I was gonna include a Thursday game, I would maybe throw Houston ahead of them, but that hasn't treated me well for a couple of weeks here. So I figured stick to Sunday. Go with the New York Giants. Uh, next game I'm going to talk about here, I'm actually going to skip down our show sheet a little bit and go to one of the games that you have picked, the other New York team playing at home, the New York Jets. They are seven-point underdogs. With the Dolphins coming to town, 44.5 is the over-under. You like the Miami Dolphins to cover the seven points. Why do you think they bounce back from what was really an ugly showing in Denver a week ago? Yeah, good defense will, will play well. I think uh, Joe Flacco had some uh, nice stats in the end of the game last week, kind of a, you know, 
cover the spread kind of backdoor-wise. But I think the Dolphins mm-hmm. are definitely better defensively than the Chargers. I think they'll definitely bounce back. Another better coach team. I'm not sure what Tula's status is, but I think he'll play probably. He'll probably bounce back. So I think they'll just take the much better team, and I think the Jets are not quite there yet to get a win. Not quite yet. Yeah, I, I, the you're right about it being a backdoor cover, but now we've seen that a couple of weeks from them uh, last week against the Chargers, the week before against the Patriots, and I do think that the Dolphins have better defense than both of those teams, but I'm just a little worried about the competence we've seen from the Joe Flacco-led Jets offense to feel totally comfortable with laying the seven on the road, plus lingering feelings about getting burned by Miami a week ago. I know we shouldn't let those influence our next thing. Every game is its own unique ecosystem, but I'm staying away from it. It does look like a game that can't be tempting, but I'm going to lean away from the Dolphins. I would actually lean toward the Jets in this one, but nowhere near a way that I would feel comfortable making them one of my top five picks. A couple more games in this early slate where neither of us has a selection. Vikings minus three and a half against the Panthers, 51 the over-under there. Colts minus three uh, against the Titans, 51 is the over-under there. Vic, again, I am not backing the car. I told myself, don't back the Cardinals no matter what. Don't fade the Colts no matter what. You got to take at least a week off of those. So I'm staying away from the Colts-Titans game as well. Let's move on to a game where uh, one of us does have a pick. This one is me. Browns at the Jaguars. The Browns are minus six and a half in Jacksonville. 49 is the over-under. You said it. This team is just terrible. This Jacksonville team is really, really awful. And they were a bad team with Gardner Minshew, but at least Minshew provided some floor for their offense. You knew that the offense in most games wasn't going to fall apart. They would probably have a bomb out spot here or there, but that the offense was going to be generally competent as bad as the team was with Minshew in there. Without Minshew in there, all bets are off. We saw it with Jake Luton last week against uh, Pittsburgh, and we are going to see it with Mike Glennon now at the helm against the Browns in this game. No Miles Garrett, obviously that hurts the Browns, but you know, the Browns have, uh, no one's going to confuse the Browns with a legitimate Super Bowl contender, right? But they're 7-3 and three for a reason. They take care of business against the teams that they should take care of business against. And we have now seen two games with Nick Chubb back in there and what that does for this offense. I mean, they are one of these true old school teams that can throw it back and totally control a game on the ground. I would like to see a little bit more Chubb and a little bit less Kareem Hunt on the ground for this team, a little bit more Kareem Hunt in the passing game, especially with Odell Beckham off the table for them. I think they need a couple more playmakers or a couple more playmaking opportunities in the passing game, but really do like the fact that they can control games offensively and that they know who they are offensively. They've got the right personnel, the right coach and Kevin Stefanski who did this in Minnesota with Dalvin Cook, who wants to do this in Cleveland with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and who is showing that they can execute this sort of game plan week in and week out, especially against inferior opponents like they're going to get in Jacksonville. I just don't see how Jacksonville's offense can keep pace at all with Miles Garrett, without Miles Garrett. Really doesn't matter here. I think the Browns control this one. And hey, the Browns have got to be excited about the fact that they're going to play a game in normal weather, right? They had the two wind games, they had a bye in between, and then they had the crazy rain against the Eagles last week. At least this week in Jacksonville, the weather looks normal. They got to be excited about that. I really like the Browns. One of my favorite plays of the week. You have no pick on this one. Where is your lean, with me or against me? I'm with you. That's probably my, my sixth pick if I, we did six. I think I agree with you on the weather. I think they will be able to pass the ball this week against that Jags defense. So it should be a good spot for them. I think they've done a good job against bad teams this year so far. So I think that will continue, and it should be a, a relatively easy one. I think they should be able to cover with, with no problem. 
Yeah, I really like the uh, Browns to move to 8-3 and three in this one and win it by more than a touchdown. Last game in the early slate, Bills minus 5.5 against the Chargers. 53.5 is the over-under. I wavered on this one. I felt like I knew I wanted to pick it because – you know, when in doubt, I like backing teams that I believe in and teams that I know what their identity is, even if they are playing another team like that. And that's true about both of these teams. So even though I wavered on what my selection was going to be, I felt comfortable that I was going to pick this game. We are on the same side here. We both like the home Bills minus five and a half taking on the Chargers. I will let you get our Bills argument started. They got the uh, more talented team, got the better coach team, and they're also at home. So I think it's a great spot. I think um, Justin Herbert probably will have a harder time against this defense he's had the last few weeks. So I think it's a good spot for him. I think they've had some rest, time to get ready for this game. Mm-hmm. So I like, the, I like it. I like it a lot. Two of those things is what pushed me to the Bills over the Chargers because my instinct was Chargers. My instinct was Justin Herbert, the way this offense has played. They can keep this game within a touchdown, even though I don't think they really have any chance of winning the game. But two things pushed me to the Bills. Number one, one thing you mentioned there, the coaching difference. Sean McDonough versus Anthony Lynn. I really like or Sean McDermott. Sean McDonough calls football games, doesn't coach football games. Sean McDermott versus Anthony Lynn. Give me McDermott 10 times out of 10. Really like that for the Bills in this one. And then the fact that they're coming off a bye. I mean, you've got Sean McDermott with two full weeks to prepare for this game coming off the bye versus Anthony Lynn just having the normal week. I really think that that is what pushes the game in favor of the Bills. They also should be getting John Brown back. So they've got a fully healthy offense available to them. Really do like what we've seen uh, from this offense all season long. And while the defense hasn't been anywhere near what it was last season, I think the offense is going to put them in some pretty good positions here in this game. We will wait and see if Austin Eckler gets activated from IR. It doesn't look likely for this week. He is going to be back for the Chargers at some point this season. Either way, with Eckler, without Eckler, the Bills are the pick here. Minus five and a half. Think that that Chargers defense really is going to not have any sort of answer for what the Bills do offensively. In our late window, uh, started with three games. We now have four games. That is because Steelers and Ravens, which was supposed to be played on Thanksgiving night, gets postponed to this Sunday late window. There's no line actually on it right now. They brought it off the board when the game got pushed back. Uh, it was sitting at minus four, and this was you know 24 hours before the game was supposed to be played. It was sitting at minus four, so I feel like it's probably going to come back up on the board at minus four, and I love the Steelers in this spot at home against a Ravens team that that offense from 2019 just isn't happening we so we talked about it a week ago we talked about it when uh, when I picked the Titans last week at 2019 Ravens offense uh, was uh, extinguished by the Titans in January of 2020 in that playoff upset and we're just not going to see it and I don't think that this team can beat the Steelers team in Pittsburgh, a team that they've already lost to at home without having the sort of dynamic offense that we saw from them in 2019, especially when you factor in that this game is pushed back to Sunday, but you still have no J.K. Dobbins on the field for the Ravens. J.K. Dobbins is going to be out of this game after testing positive for COVID-19. So now you're talking about Gus Edwards pushing up to the top of the depth chart, a fine running back, but nowhere near the explosive threat that Dobbins is. Marquise Brown has been a ghost all season. Without Brown doing what he did for them last year, without J.K. Dobbins available, 
you just don't really have any speed that you have to honor on Baltimore's side of the ball. I mean, Willie Sneed, Devin Duvernay, I, I just don't think that any of those guys are going to strike any sort of fear in the hearts of the Pittsburgh defense. I really think that Pittsburgh's offense on the other side, uh, with the way that they've been clicking through the air, can get after this Baltimore defense, a defense that you know has been victimized a little bit in recent weeks. So if this one comes back up at minus four, minus five, minus five and a half, basically anything inside a touchdown, I really like Pittsburgh in this one. Uh, no pick for you. Where are you leaning on it? Yeah, I don't know quite how the Steelers are tearing out, but uh, I agree with you about the, the pandemic stuff. I think it's hard to back the Ravens based on the guys are going to not have this weekend. And plus, it don't seem like they have the same toughness they had a year ago. So I think they've lost mm-hmm. something in the past year. So I definitely will take the Steelers whenever that line comes back up. Um, all right, we've got three board games here, and we have uh, picks in all of them. You have two, I have one. Let's get to one that you are picking. The New Orleans Saints, uh, Taysom Hill gets a win in his first career start, 24-9 over the Falcons a week ago, and now takes the team to Denver to take on the Broncos, where the Saints are six-point favorites. 43.5 is the over-under, and you are buying the Saints once again. I am with you on this. I'm not making it a pick, but it is the way I lean. Since you have the confidence to make it a pick, let us know why. I think they're on a little bit of a roll right now. I think uh, Hill gives them a little, uh, a little energy boost. I think that you can see the team kind of was definitely fired up for him. I think they're going to keep playing that way for him. I think they want him to succeed. And obviously it gives them a different look on offense, so they're harder to prepare for now. So I like the, where they're headed. The, both sides of the ball seem to like they have some confidence now. And uh, the Broncos, they covered – they actually won last week. So not just covered. But uh, yeah. I'm not sure Drew Locke can do that twice in a row. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> with the Saints. Uh, That defense looked pretty good against Miami a week ago. Now they've got uh, a full game's worth of tape of Taysom Hill as a quarterback, a week to prepare with, uh, you know, very respected defensive head coach and Vic Fangio at Donatel running that defense. Not concerned at all about what they've got dialed up for Hill? Oh, I am definitely. That's normally I go with the home dogs. I mean, I'm trying to uh, change some things up this year based on my success, but uh, I'm just going to go simply, you know, I'm trying to start the new. The best team strategy. You know, the best team by far in the field will be the, the mm-hmm. Saints. I think the, the home thing is worrisome. You guys, the defense definitely can be tricky at times to the Broncos. But I just like the Saints the way they're playing, the way they approach the ball on both sides right now. So I think um, I think they're going to keep rolling. All right. I will take the baton. I will take the mic. And I will make uh, my fifth and final pick of the uh, slate. I've got no picks in the night games. Uh, this is actually the lone 425 Eastern kickoff on Sunday. Chiefs at Buccaneers, uh, probably the marquee game of the week. The Chiefs are three and a half point favorites in Tampa. 56 is the over-under, and uh, I'm basically taking exactly what you just said about the Saints uh, with the Broncos. There's maybe not as big a gap between Kansas City and Tampa as there is between New Orleans and Denver, but I think comfortably the better team is the Chiefs. And I said somewhere along the way this season, if you are asking me to back a Patrick Mahomes team that is only being asked to win by a field goal, I'm going to feel comfortable taking that Patrick Mahomes team. So I'll extend it a little bit here with that getting out to three and a half. And, you know, we don't need to talk about Mahomes and the offense and what they do. I want to talk about the defense. I mean, if you look at the teams against which Tom Brady has struggled this season, uh, look at the Rams a week ago uh, and what they were able to do against Tom Brady on Monday Night Football. Really made life uncomfortable for him. 216 yards, two touchdowns, but two interceptions, four and a half yards per attempt. Go back two weeks before that against the Saints. 
22 for 38, 209 yards, no touchdowns, three picks, five and a half yards per attempt. Go back to what now looks like a very surprising loss for the Buccaneers in week five against the Bears. He threw for he didn't throw any picks in that game, but just better than six yards per attempt, needed 41 pass attempts to get to a measly 253 yards. What do all those teams have in common? Every single one of those teams can get pressure up the middle, and Tom Brady against pressure up the middle is, I mean, that's his kryptonite, right? That's the way you really disrupt Tom Brady and, by extension, the Tampa Bay offense. The Chiefs can get pressure up the middle. They can get pressure on the quarterback. So I think in addition to what Mahomes is going to be able to do in what is definitely a tough assignment, this defense is going to follow a blueprint set out by the Rams, by the Saints, by the Bears, and make life really, really tough on Tom Brady. I think the Chiefs win this one relatively comfortably. Where are you at on this game? I might be going leaning the other way. I think the Bucks. I mean, I think this is a good spot. For, I think their defense, uh, their front four can also apply some pressure. Oh, so for I think sure. they'll be able to keep the game close. I think Tom Brady probably bounces back from last week's game. And the Chiefs, last week, pretty much clinched the AFC West. I'm not sure. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be a letdown to go against the Bucks, but uh, I'm not sure there's going to be a huge sense of urgency in this one for them to win. I mean, to win going away. So I, I think it'll be a close game. I think that three and a half is going to be tricky. I think I can see the Chiefs winning by, by a field goal, and that's why I kind of lean towards the Bucks. And we don't have any head-to-head picks among our five, but we are at odds on quite a few of these selections. Uh, so maybe we don't have any actually which on the is, record. That's which nice. is good we for you. Still cheer for each you, other. You, yeah, you've been kicking my butt <laughs> this year, so it's probably, it's probably a good <laughs> sign for you. Hey, it's good that we can yeah you know, we can cheer for each other even though uh, yeah. even though we still have maybe some other things happening off the off the show. It's nice that we can root for each yeah. other's show picks for sure uh, over this uh, Thanksgiving weekend. We can give thanks for that. Uh, the final game that we haven't talked about yet in the late uh, late window on Sunday is Rams and 49ers. This is one where I don't have a pick, but I agree with the one that you are putting on the record here. Rams are minus seven against the 49ers. 45 is the over-under. These Rams coming off another impressive victory, and you think they follow it up with a comfortable one against the 49ers. Make the uh, rationale for this Rams pick. Yeah, you take away that, that one loss to Miami, which I think is, you know, predictable. With my, going to Miami is a tough a tough road game to, on Dolphins Road 3 on the upswing. So you take away that one loss – They've kind of would have won four in a row. They're on a nice roll. I think their offense looks really good now. All of a sudden, the running game is going. They got the passing game going. Jerry Goff looks very confident. And you got Aaron Donald, obviously, and some guys are making. Aaron Donald actually wasn't a huge presence. I mean, right. it was a huge, a huge factor, again, I should say, last week. But still, defense played pretty well. Jalen Ramsey is definitely one of the top guys in the league now. So I like the overall, the team's playing well. So I think we talk about revenge sometimes. Definitely, they lost the Niners the first time. I'm sure they want to avenge that. And I think they should be able to against. Nick Mullins. This is a team that uh, really is peaking as we uh, start to approach the final quarter of the season. Uh, the way that they have played offensively, defensively, uh, really getting the best out of everyone on the roster uh, with the way uh, that they've played on both sides of the ball. I really like this pick. It's probably the one with the Texans that just missed making it into my top five selections, but I really do like the Rams this Sunday. think they do avenge that earlier loss to the 49ers. Sunday Night Football, congratulations, America. One more game with the Chicago Bears on primetime, and not just the Chicago Bears, but it sounds like, at least as of Wednesday at 5.30 Central time, like you're getting Mitch Trubisky back as the starter as well. No pick for either of us on this one. Packers are eight-and-a-half-point favorites, 45 is the over-under Monday Night Football. One more pick for you to make, Vic. It is here on this game. Seahawks minus five at the Philadelphia Eagles. 50 
is the over-under Seahawks, of course, coming off a big win last Thursday against the Arizona Cardinals. So they've got 11 days off here from Thursday to Monday night. Plenty of time to prepare for an inferior foe. Does that at all play into why you like the Seahawks to go into Philly and cover the five? It does. And also, uh, I mentioned I watched all the games last week. I got to watch uh, Mr. Carson Wentz again. He really has really <laughs> fallen off. It's amazing. Oh I just can't even describe how, how bad he is right now. I just, um, and he's like, Supposedly the best thing they have in offense. So I think the Seahawks defense is going to get some guys back. Adams is getting healthier. Uh, we saw the newcomer last week. Dunlap had a big game. So the defense mm-hmm. is starting to make a little progress. It should be enough, I think, to cover the spread in this game. I think they're definitely – if Pete Carroll's after the game, they definitely feel like they're about to go on a roll. I, I kind of agree with him. I think they definitely seem like they're poised to have a, a much uh, better finish than they have at a start. Those season-long defensive stats are going to look bad no matter what at the end of the season because of how bad they were over the first half of the year. But if you've watched them the last two, three games, they look like a totally – last two games, three games ago was when they gave up 44 to the Bills. The last two games against the Rams and Arizona, they've held them to a combined 37 points. They look like a completely different defense. You absolutely love what you have seen from the Seahawks in those games. And I think that this is going to be something that plays forward. This is a much different defense now than it was even just three, four weeks ago. And I agree with you, Carson Wentz. I mean, that pick six he threw, that was, if you if you put like a robot in a lab and made him, designed him to only throw pick sixes, that would be his go-to throw. Just f- floater into the flat outside of the field. I mean, just a comically bad throw from Carson Wentz and this Eagles team. I think that they will be giving up uh, first place in the division this week with uh, Dallas and Washington, winner of that, moving to five, four and seven. And hey, like the Giants to move to four and seven as well uh, in their game against the Bengals. Uh, let's wrap things up here and also throw out one upset pick. So you're five on the board this week. You have the Buffalo Bills minus five and a half against the Chargers. Dolphins, they are minus seven at the Jets. This is a reverse from last week, Vic. Saints, minus six at the Broncos. Rams, minus seven at home against the 49ers. Seahawks, minus five at Philadelphia on Monday Night Football. You go from five dogs to five favorites here in week 12. I've got the Giants, a lot of favorites for us, actually. I've got the Giants, minus six in Cincinnati. Browns, minus six and a half at Jacksonville. Bills with you on them, minus five and a half against the Chargers. Steelers, minus four is likely going to be the line. It's going to be somewhere in there. I will tweet it out and I will commit to whatever it is uh, at home against the Ravens. And finally, Chiefs. So we're going 10 for 10 on favorites. Chiefs, minus three and a half at Tampa Bay. Your upset pick of the week is? I will say the uh, Titans. I think we both uh, had a rough loss two weeks ago in that game. <laughs> the uh, punting game, the field goal kicker. But I think they'll bounce back. I know we didn't make it a pick, but... I feel pretty good about it. I think they're in a good spot to, to avenge that loss and, and win outright. I, I, I just can't do it. I can't do it. I mean, I've <laughs> faded the Colts at least two shows in a row, and I can't remember if I did it the one before that, and they've, they've both been losses. I keep wanting to think this team is worse than it is. I think I have to own up and just say that they're making it work, that the defense is legit, that Phillip Rivers uh, is a good fit for what they want to do offensively. Michael Pittman Jr., the emergence of uh, a real receiving weapon for them, uh, definitely adds a different weapon to the offense, a different look to the offense. But I still like the Titans in this one. I'm not picking it as uh, one of my five, obviously, excuse me, uh, but I do think that the Titans are a nice upset pick. Three-point dogs going into Indy. And what is a huge game? Winner of that game has the inside track to the AFC South title. 
That's going to do it for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast and the Athletic Football Show. Vic, I know we're recording this on Wednesday, so Thanksgiving for you and I as we sit here talking to each other is tomorrow. Everyone who's listening to this, Thanksgiving already happened. Either way, whether it's now, whether it's then, whatever, let me wish you and yours, Vic, a happy Thanksgiving. You too, man. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, And to you all out there, whenever you're enjoying this, Friday, Saturday, whenever it might be, we hope you are having a great, safe, happy Thanksgiving weekend. If you are enjoying this on Spotify, iTunes, any other podcast platform, and you are not yet an athletic subscriber, when you are listening to this, our Black Friday deal is live. You can get an athletic subscription for just $1 a month. Go to theathletic.com slash fantasy football pod to do just that. For Derek Van Riper and Vic Tafer, I am Michael Beller. We'll be back with you one week from now. Until then, have a great weekend. Have a great, happy Thanksgiving weekend and enjoy all of the Week 12 action. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.